welcome back to another edition of the Forum Club with Bill Orem. I'm not Bill Orem. Uh, I'm Anthony Slater. I'm taking over host duties for the week. I'm hijacking as the Lakers are one win from an NBA title. And I have a structure that I want to go through, Bill. Do you just want to get right to it? Or, you know, I know you're typically the opening up. I don't know if you had any opening thoughts. I like how you're just seizing the moment. It's, you know, it's typically my time, but you're just kind of making it, you know, taking it and dominating, sort of like Anthony Davis in this series, resting control from LeBron James. With a finals MVP on the line. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I wanted to, because I didn't want to get too much into the specifics of this series because it's 3-1 and I don't think X's and O's right now matter that much. Miami, you know, could jump their way back into the series and, and the actual like strategic elements of the court may matter more. But I feel like we're heading towards the Game 5 coronation for the Lakers. So I kind of wanted to do more of a broader look at what was a you know a championship run by the Lakers. And if they win on Friday night, they will have not even been pushed to six games at all in these playoffs. They'd be 16-4 and four if they can win that Game 5. And I thought the proper structure to do that was to maybe look player by player down the roster, at least the rotation. We don't have to go to the Quinn Cooks and the Jared Dudleys. But ranking their playoff performance. And that... That obviously starts at the top with two guys who I think the topic of Friday is going to be who's going to win the finals MVP. I mean, it's already the topic really leading up to it. So, Bill, as we begin to rank one, two, three, four, five, who's at one for you in the playoffs for these Lakers? It's a tough question. And, and this is the finals MVP question, right? So to me, you know, Anthony Davis has been the Lakers best player in their wins. You know, obviously he had the points in the first two games, uh, then foul trouble in game three, which maybe you could argue took him out of the finals MVP running until game four when he made his impact by stepping up and defending Jimmy Butler and really taking Jimmy Buckets out of the game. So to me, I think I'm leaning toward AD as the number one finals MVP Lakers star, despite everything that LeBron James comes into this series with and everything that he has done in this series, obviously in game four, big threes in the third quarter to get the Lakers uh, back on top. And then really an impressive fourth quarter where he knocked down seven of seven free throws and really kind of uh, took matters into his own hands. So Bill, this actually kind of reminds me of the previous MVP, finals MVP debates between Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, where Steph Curry was the Warriors, the personality of the Warriors, the most guiding, calming, behind the scenes leader of the Warriors, the reason Kevin Durant came to the Warriors. But in the finals, in the playoffs, Kevin Durant was just the more productive on-court player. Maybe the hired mercenary, the hired gun who came over and just destroyed teams defensively and offensively. Does that not sound exactly like what has happened with the Lakers, right? I mean, like LeBron, he is not the Steph Curry of the Lakers, but he's this era's like reason why the Lakers have become this. He's the reason Davis came to the Lakers. He's the reason they built the team around it. He is the leader in the locker room. He's the personality of the team. He's the guiding force on the court, much like Curry with all of his off-ball movement is. But the finals MVP went to Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant destroyed the Cavaliers twice in the finals just like Davis is killing the heat Davis all the stats in these playoffs and in these finals point to Davis as I guess more important slightly more important force he has the largest plus minus you look at the big game four he was a plus 17 I think LeBron was only a plus two uh, he has the best net rating in the playoffs best everything LeBron called him the defensive player of the year the uh, the other day because of really because of what he's done all season but what he did late in the game on Butler which is what LeBron didn't do in game three late in the game on Butler so I'm with you I think Davis going now this is going into game five we don't know what's gonna happen in game five I think Davis is uh the finals MVP 
But I also think I don't like this debate in general, and I don't like what's coming, which is like, you know, 48 hours of, of what we're doing right now, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because... LeBron is the anchor and the architect, really, of everything, at least on the court and in terms of the locker room. But they don't become a championship team without Anthony Davis. So if you put this team out there against the Heat without without AD, LeBron's not getting it done. And not that that's the difference in, in the MVP race, but to me, Anthony Davis has been just the clear difference maker in this series. When you look at the way he was able to assert himself in Game 2 without Bam Adebayo in there, the way he defended Jimmy Butler. Listen, whatever happens, it's going to be a controversial vote. Like, I don't envy those who are voting in this race because there's a huge narrative argument and certainly performance-based argument for LeBron also, you know, with everything that he's done for this franchise, getting it back to the finals, his performance in the finals. We have seen a very vintage finals LeBron performance, but kind of as he has all year, he has been comfortable letting Anthony Davis be the focal point of the offense. And so in a way, LeBron has set AD up to be the finals MVP. Now, I guess the argument could be LeBron hasn't had the statistical letdown game that AD had in game three, but you wrote a very compelling piece that, you know, game three was actually also LeBron's worst game of the postseason, even though, you know, the numbers looked pretty good minus the eight turnovers. So to me, I think there will be a controversial vote either way. But yeah, I just think if the award goes to who makes the biggest difference on the court in the finals, it's got to be Anthony Davis. Yeah, I think an important metric, whatever you want to call it, to look at this, and John Hollinger wrote a little bit about it, not in the finals MVP scope, but like the Lakers in these playoffs and in these finals have survived better when LeBron's on the bench and then when Davis is on the bench. And they stagger these guys well. So yes, when they're together, the Lakers are at their best. But when you're only one of the two is on the court, they've been better when that one is Davis. And that's important. Yeah. I mean, even if you go back to game one, when they fell behind by 13 points, it was once LeBron went to the bench lineup with AD and also a very effective Contavious Caldwell Pope that swung that game back in the Lakers favor and got them up and turned the faucet on for the Lakers. So not to say that they're overall better with LeBron off the court or that they don't need LeBron James anymore, but they have been more potent with Anthony Davis on the court. And that is just something you can't take away. So to me, if they gave me a vote right now after after four games, you know, I'd be writing in Anthony Davis with apologies to LeBron and fully understanding that he is the reason that the Lakers won a championship. His decision to come to L.A., his recruitment of, of Anthony Davis, the gravity he has with free agents, the caliber of free agents the Lakers were able to get on budget deals, which you've written extensively about. That doesn't happen without LeBron James here. But when the rubber meets the road in the finals in this matchup against the Heat, he was the secondary star. Yeah, Davis has been the Durant, essentially. The does that mean he's gonna go? He's gonna go. He's gonna sign with the Nets this summer. Well, it wouldn't be this summer. It would be two summers from now. They'd win again next year. Then the, the year after, they'd have this uh, legendary flame out right in the finals, and then he would go to some random Eastern Conference team. Chicago, Chicago. So you know that's really the only controversial ranking here, where it's just like one, two. Who's at the top? Then there's this massive chasm on this Lakers roster before you get to the third best player. Although obviously the depth is very much played up in these playoffs. So let's say we're going Davis one, LeBron two. As I wanted to go down this roster with you and really talk about the playoff performances of of everyone in the rotation. Who are you placing three? I mean, I know who I am, and I've kind of pumped it a little bit online, but. Who do you think has been their third best player in the playoffs? Well, it hasn't been consistent. There have been nights where it's been different guys. Um, It's been Markeith Morris a few times. It's been Dwight Howard a few times. But more than anyone else, it's been Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And especially when you look at what he's had to do defensively and the assignments he's drawn going back to the very beginning of these playoffs when it was the Trailblazers with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Then you had James Harden, Jamal Murray, 
And in these finals, you know, obviously hasn't been quite the guard play from the Heat that you expected with Dragic going out, but he's taken his turns on Jimmy Butler and then has been the best version of himself offensively, shooting 40% from three. So he's not a guy who's going to give you 25 points in a game, but to me, he has been the guy who has stepped up in the biggest moments for the Lakers and really performed. And by the way, I did want to highlight one thing in his game four performance. In addition to the 15 points, the big three and and the cutting layup late, five assists for KCP in game four. And I thought that seemed high. I don't didn't recall him having an assist night like that. And it's just worth noting, he hadn't had a game like that in the bubble. His, I think his assists high in the bubble had been three. And you had to go all the way back to January 13th to find a night where he had five assists. So I thought we might be going back to the Pistons. Then. Yeah, You know what? He had an eight assist game last year, which I do not remember at all. But I don't remember last year at all either. So 2019 was was a very far, very long way, or even eight maybe is when he ended. I feel like the offense works best when KCP is in there. He can be the terminal option. He can knock down the open three, and he's also really good at keeping the ball moving, finding guys inside. He had a lobbed AD. He had a couple of great passes into the paint. I just think KCP has taken a step. And and listen, for all the jokes about Contavious Caldwell Pope over his first couple of years, we know that you know obviously he you know had his struggles in the first year, spending time essentially in jail, uh, stemming from a DUI and, and playing with an ankle monitor. You know, really kind of became a little bit of a punching bag for Lakers fans with really his performance not meeting the contract. Eighteen million dollars in the first year, Lakers fans were so salty that the Lakers cut David Nwaba to be able to give KCP the full eighteen million dollars. Yeah, and listen, like those first couple of years, maybe he didn't. Live up to those contracts but by year three at 38 million dollars earned and i'd say he's earned every penny of that just in these playoffs that's his best performance as a laker coming at the exact right time i mean that's that's when it was needed most so he's made 43s which leads the team and i think that might be his most important side of the playoffs i agree with you on the defense and the assignments that he's taken on and and all the little things he does slashing and maybe some a little sprinkle of uh, secondary playmaking but the fact that he's hit 43s at a 39% clip, that consistency is what we didn't see in the seeding games. It's what made us all question whether... Remember, like, what did the Lakers as a team shoot in the seeding games from three, like, 20... Oh, they, they, they were the worst team in the seeding games. They were last out of the yeah. 22 teams. You know, a chunk of that was Pope. Now, it was more Danny Green. We'll get to Danny Green further down this list, for sure. But he wasn't streaky. Like, Danny Green is streaky, and, and you know, Danny Green overall shot 33% from three. Pope actually had a couple of those games early in these finals, but in general, if you look at his game log of threes, way more often than not, it's two of five. Three of seven. And like when you put a, together enough of those, a defense when they're scouting you knows like he's probably going to make a few of these per game. So we cannot sag too far off of him. And that's what it's all about. You just need to take some of the attention and away from Davis and LeBron so they have more space on the court and he's done that better than anybody. Yeah, I mean, are there other candidates even for third best or is, I mean, you talked about the chasm between one and two, or excuse me, one and two and three. What's the chasm between three and four? So I'll tell you who my fourth is, Rajon Rondo. And I think that the reason why he's fourth and not maybe necessarily in the conversation for third is because he missed the first round. You know, you look at all of his stats, his numbers. But the Lakers were never going to, they weren't going to lose the first round anyway. So, I mean, so So do you think he has an argument for third? Because I will tell you what he has done more than Pope. He's had more high impact games, games where it's like, wow. That was the Rondo Rondo game. Game two against Houston, which was his second game back, five steals, nine assists. Turn that. Remember, uh, you know, I wrote about it in, on the site. To me, like the first real pivot point of the playoffs was they're losing to Houston. 
Uh, they lose game one to Houston, and they're down early in game two. You know, it's like five quarters in, you're like, oh, the Lakers might be in trouble. Uh, they're down by maybe six or so late in the first quarter, not looking great. And then suddenly Rondo has six assists in like a four-minute stretch. Remember, this is only his second game back in like over six months. Um, four of those assists were to Marquise Morris for four threes, who, again, we'll get to a little bit further down this list. But it was like, whoa, that was like a huge moment or a huge little spurt from Rondo. And then he, he ended that game with five steals. It was like, wow, he won that game for the Lakers. He comes back to the next game, 21 points. He shot the three well in this series. He's had a couple other big games. I thought he was crucial in game four. So Caldwell Pope probably more steady and consistent because Rondo's had bad moments too but I could almost make the argument that he was the third best player I don't know if you want to make that argument I know when I tweeted something about KCP being the third best player on Twitter Kendrick Perkins quote tweeted it and was like no it's playoff Rondo although he's a little bit biased I think about his former teammate where are you is it it clearly KCP or like you might say Rondo yeah I I think it's KCP I just think the consistent performance and I think it also has to be relative to expectations which is true for Rondo also remember KCP came into these playoffs basically people saying well is he going to be able to do what Avery Bradley did or would have done and the fact that you know we are not talking but we are talking about Avery Bradley but nobody is talking about the Lakers missing Avery Bradley really since the start of the playoffs, I think is part of of what has made KCP so impressive. He has really taken care of all the things that you thought Avery Bradley was going to uh, the hole that Avery Bradley had created by opting out. And so I think it's KCP because of kind of the body of work. But Rondo, I think, is right there. And and listen, I think Rondo was the difference between that Houston series kind of being a five-game cakewalk and it being a six or seven-game series and maybe the, maybe the Lakers actually getting in a little bit of trouble. I think the Rockets had too tough of a time matching up with the Lakers overall, but the Lakers could have lost game two if Rondo didn't play the way he did. And game three, he was great again. So to me, that was a series that, and if you remember, that series came until game five, I believe. Every game was down to the fourth quarter and Rondo played huge roles in every one of those fourth quarters. And I think that, you know, if you take him off the floor, there are games there that, you know, the Lakers might lose. And with KCP, it's kind of a little bit of that throughout every series where he has been a difference maker consistently throughout every series. Whereas I think Rondo's biggest impact was in that one specific series. And then he's just been steady everywhere else. So, I mean, he's fourth, I mean, which is still, you're saying a lot. It's still incredible, but I think KCP's three. Yeah, I'm starting to talk myself into Rondo. Uh, You know, Rondo, the way they solved the zone in game two when Miami tried to kind of throw the junk zone at him like that was a lot of like rondo smarts and the stat i couldn't believe when i looked i mean like he's rondo leads the playoffs in assists for 36 minutes he's just been assist crazy and remember when if you go back to our conversations pre-playoffs he's a guy who can who can rack up a lot of assists that are kind of meaningless true but like he has been really timely with the way he's he's performed and his assists have all been he hasn't been hunting them they've come within the flow of the offense well just also just remember the conversations we were having before the playoffs about it was the jr Smith, Deion Waiters, which of the two can help? And like, well, they're going to fill the Rondo role. And like, you know, maybe it'll be Waiters as a secondary playmaker because that is where you miss Rondo as like, you know, an off the bench playmaker. And then it was like, oh, Waiters, not the answer. J.R. Smith, really not the answer. The Lakers should make like, Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith pay for their rinks. Hey, J.R. I think has a better argument for Dion's De- not even dressing. I mean, he's over there in like a white tee and some jeans. And like, anyway, I, I, I like Dion, so I don't want to get to it. But um, I think seeing what the replacement level was for Rondo gives you a greater appreciation of what Rondo then 
came back and provided. And the fact that he has, I think it's 92 assists off the bench uh, in three rounds, that's a crazy number to me. He's seventh in the playoffs in assists per game. And that's including all the starters, Luka Doncic, James Harden, all those guys. Seventh in assists. Like, that is a crazy amount of assists for a bench guy playing like 25 minutes a night. And you're right. I think they've mostly been impactful assists. So does it get more muddled once we get past Rondo? I mean, I think the first four guys are pretty clear. But after that, you get down to just a bunch of, well, not a bunch, but several guys who have just been really consistent contributors. Dwight Howard had a huge series against Denver. Alex Caruso has been steady throughout, playing a big role on this team. Markeith Morris kind of emerged from oblivion in that Houston series and has had impactful minutes really ever since. That's kind of where we're choosing for number five, right? Well, you know, Kuzma is like, could maybe toss his hat in the ring, but sure. I would say no. Um, I think the argument between four and five... God, does that mean really Kuzma's up. eighth? We'll Oof. get there. We'll get, I don't know. Oof. We're deciding. Hey, guess, what, guess who else is in Foreshadowing. Michigan? Danny Green, their third most expensive piece. Anyways, I think four and five is an argument just like we had at... Or no, no, no. I should say I think five and six is an argument like we just had at three and four, which is do you go for the steadier contributor, which is, in my opinion has been Alex Caruso, or do you go for the guy who's had moments, big time moments, moments at important times and that's Dwight Howard like Dwight Howard in many ways was a main reason that the Lakers advanced beyond Denver because he was the Nikola Jokic kryptonite the irritant he had an unbelievable series with big moments that Alex Caruso didn't necessarily have at any point in these playoffs but Dwight Howard also has found himself not in the rotation in this series wasn't in the rotation in the Houston series whereas Alex Caruso it's 25 minutes a night. It's good defense. It's steady, decent, like, you know, fringe production. And it, you look down and and he's like, I think they're like a plus 86 with him on the floor in these playoffs. And he's his defensive rating is like 104.4 during a very important chunk of minutes. And that's like best of their rotation players. So I'd probably go Caruso. I don't know where you are. Yeah, I think I'm on, I think I'm on Caruso also just because of what you said. I mean, it's, you know, when Markeith has, has had his moments, he has been, you know, arguably the MVP of certain games. You go back to game two against Houston when he, I know that was a big Rondo game too, but Markeith um, came in and, the, and had that huge run in the first quarter. But that's not what he's doing every game. He's not that red hot super sub necessarily. What he's done is allowed the Lakers to really spread the floor, go their version of small, which isn't small particularly. I think Markeith's biggest value has been what he's allowed Frank Vogel to do with his lineups and the flexibility on the floor. And with kind of within that framework, he's had some really nice moments. Again, guy who barely played in the first round, and I don't think we thought we would be talking about as a really a key contributor to this um, to this playoff run. So I would go Caruso with Mar- with Morris next. But I mean, we are... You're going Morris over Dwight, huh? Yeah. It's tough. I mean, like, Dwight has kind of played his way out of the finals. Dwight didn't play against Houston. Dwight's real impact was in that in that Denver series. And I think it's telling about the Lakers roster and the depth that they have. Coming into this season, I thought this was sort of kind of a hodgepodge roster. And the idea of a hodgepodge roster has really worked out where you've had guys who can be super useful in certain matchups, but you don't need them in other matchups because you have another guy who wasn't useful in the last matchup, but now he's really useful in this one. So it's who has contributed more consistently over the entire run. And I think I'd give the nod to Markeith there even though Dwight, you know, obviously is a huge difference maker in the Western Conference Finals. So for ordering them, Caruso 5, Morris 6, Dwight 7, and apologies to Kyle Kuzma, who I think has, you know, had a sort of sleepy, good defensive playoff series, at least especially in the first round. You know, certainly hasn't done the Kyle Kuzma things that I think we all thought he would need to do for the Lakers to win. I mean, you go back... 
I'm, I'm just giving you my whole list now. But I mean, if you go all the way back to, I think it was the um, the pre seeding games the what do we call those the scrimmages uh back in july there was a big kuzma game and was it that one or was it when he hit the game winner against denver in the seeding games that was in seeding games lebron said we need kyle kuzma to be our third best player in order to win a championship he hasn't been he hasn't been their third best player he still hasn't scored 20 in a game which i mean listen he had 19 in game three and you know i thought was really good offensively but that 20 point mark is relevant i think the fact that this is like his value to this team over the course of his young career has been the ability to get hot and and really fill that gap as the third scorer and the lakers have shown that they're balanced enough they don't really need a third 20 point scorer to win games even intermittently i'd actually be curious to, to go back and look and see how many times the lakers have even had a third scorer get 20 points in in the playoffs but kuzma's done some other nice things rondo had 21 in uh game three against Houston. I mean, is that it? That can't be no, it. No, that can't be it. But the point is, I mean, Kuzma to me has done some nice things, and but it's a really a testament to the Lakers' depth that he hasn't needed to be the third best player because it was, I think it was a very reasonable assertion by LeBron that he needed to be their third best player for them to win. And it, he hasn't even been close, and it hasn't mattered. Yeah. I want to hike back up the list a little bit because I would actually put Dwight ahead of Morris. Morris, it's helpful to have the floor spacer, and they definitely needed that like piece of versatility. And I think part of that is because of the way Kuzma was not shooting the ball kuzma should be the better version of morris the younger uh you know more fluid better defender who can also shoot the three morris has just shot it better dwight there's not a lot of people who can do what dwight can do what dwight did against Jokic. you know i mean you saw it with javel javel had no chance he had against Jokic. i think the way i would judge it is look both markeith morris and dwight howard will be free agents this summer who is going to be harder for the lakers to resign who is going to gain more money I think on the on the market I think Dwight Howard is a more valuable piece because what he does what he did in that series which matters to me how they got by Denver is just harder to find and that's why I would put Dwight ahead of Markeith. I love the disagreement I love the debate let's clip this and put it on Twitter boom clip on Twitter um so Markeith would be seventh I agree with you Kuzma eighth Uh, you know I would love to go back and watch that like he was really good in the Portland series he was not only that with seeding games I mean you mentioned the game winner against Denver but not only there was better scoring better shooting from Kuzma but I was like man this guy's emerging into like a really good defensive player I remember even in the opening game is the Clippers the way he guarded Kawhi but you know and then you got into Portland and I thought you know he he did good work on McCollum and, and even Carmelo in isolation some Lillard before before Lillard got hurt uh, and I was like man this guy's gaining this guy's gaining a little bit of confidence and rhythm heading into this round too and then he didn't have a very good series against Houston I thought he got targeted a bit much and like kind of struggled to avoid fouling Harden and then the scoring just wasn't there and then he was like kind of outplayed by Michael Porter Jr. in the conference finals and he's heading towards extension this summer and I actually think he gained money or whatever you want to call it gained value in the seeding games but i think he, he's lost a decent amount of that in the playoffs yeah i'm gonna be interested to see what happens uh with him you know he's obviously up for a rookie extension uh going into next season i'm not sure that the lakers and kuzma are going to be able to come to come to terms there in terms of what the lakers i mean listen it behooves the lakers to lock him up he has more value to them probably than than anyone else but i i don't know if they're going to be able to get to a number that matches the way he and his representation are going to see him i think he still sees himself as a you know, an elite scorer in the league. And that just has not come to fruition in the postseason. And he hasn't had to be. And I think that's a really important point. And he has 
you know, for the most part, fitted, filled his role. He's knocked down some shots. You know, he's played some defense, but it's been a little inconsistent. And he certainly hasn't been the third piece. And so I'm going to be really curious to see what happens with him over the next probably calendar year when it comes to his his compensation and his contract, because I don't think it's going to look like what he thought it was going to look like. But if he hits restricted free agency, there could be a team that throws a big deal at him and forces the Lakers to make a tough decision. So that's eight Lakers. And there's only one more that is relevant in this discussion as a rotation guy. And he's just there third highest paid player Danny Green 15 million this year 15 next year he wasn't your traditional again the Lakers whiffed on getting Kawhi as their third star so it was always they were always going to have like you said a more of like a hodgepodge crew under LeBron and, and Davis but you know Green was the guy they, they paid the biggest chunk of money to is the guy that they were hoping was going to be kind of a really third reliable starter and he's in some ways has been that I mean like he is always there and available he is guarding good players on the other side he does occasionally you know suddenly hit three straight threes after he's bricked nine in a row but the fact that we're sitting here going down the list and this is really a nine-man rotation right now and we have him ninth and like don't even really seem to be discussing if he should be higher uh, that's interesting. Danny Green does enough things on the court that, like, I think that his value gets a little overlooked. You know, the way that he, you know, his help defense, you know, the way he can kind of, the, obviously, the, the gravity he has spacing the floor, teams still really respect his shot. I mean, he's had so many just bad games. I mean, if I pulled up his game log here, I mean, you'll see a lot of, you know, offers, one first. You know, he hasn't been the, the Danny Green that we kind of, Certainly not the Danny Green we saw in Toronto. And I think that there was always some risk with that, with that contract. I remember writing at the time, you know, he shot 45% from three with the Raptors, but his last previous years with the Spurs, you know, were far more down around, what, 35, 34. Yeah. Um, would still be an upgrade for most of the guys the Lakers had previously, but not a, you know, a $15 million contract necessarily. That said, I think that in terms of expectation of what you thought you were getting with him, he has not been that guy. He has not had a signature moment in the postseason. You know, I go back to the season opener against the Clippers, which the Lakers lost. Danny Green hit like seven threes or something and finished. I think he ended up leading the Lakers in scoring with 26, 27 points, something like that. You kind of figured there'd be one of those nights from Danny Green in the playoffs. And and he hasn't. He hasn't done that. You know, he's had some games where he shot it a little more capably than other nights, but for the most part, he's kind of just disappeared. And so, you know, maybe he's been a little bit better than he gets credit for, but he certainly hasn't done the the thing that you expect him to do, which is shoot the wall. He's kind of looked a little aged. Um, the hip has been has popped up as an issue currently, like in these finals. But even before that, uh, you know, even going back to the seeding games, like it always did seem like there was something up with him physically. He's always getting worked on over there on the bench. And that's just something to think about going into next season. And as they try to remaneuver this roster and in a, in a strange market that'll come this summer. And I don't want to get too deep into the summer because like you still have, uh, you know, one more win to get to the title, but you know, he's, he's a large chunk of a contract that maybe isn't performing like, a title contending team would want and i'm just curious if he's a piece they trying to move or what you know come uh, i would say summertime but now it's what december will be free agency well, i feel like if, if if he doesn't get moved in the summer he'll be a really um he'll be a, an appealing target for some other teams uh, at the traditional july trade deadline for that very reason so i think um if he can bounce back obviously in year two of that contract then all is well but i mean that contract is uh certainly uh take taking up a lot of real estate for the lakers before we go and talk just like kind of game five and, and, and heat lakers is there any other 
of the players, 10 or beyond, you want to, I mean, JaVale's got a handful of starts in these playoffs, but it seems like they always are just waiting to replace him. They like almost put him in the starting lineup so they have a move to make, it seems like, in a lot of these series. Probably need to give JaVale a, a position just because he has started and he's a guy who has been, who's played. But you're right. I mean, you know, the Lakers tried to stick with him and kind of stick with the, the lineup they had throughout the regular season, but there was not a single series, with maybe the exception of Portland, where he felt particularly playable. Portland came at you with the two big and so, you know, he, I felt like he had a little bit of a role there. But, you know, once you got to Houston, I mean, you're right. It was what move do the Lakers have that they can use to counter their opponents' uh, lineups? And so the fact that he has barely played, if at all, in the finals, I mean, has he logged any time in the finals through four games? No, I, I don't believe he's played a second. Yeah, which, I mean, listen, for, for a guy who started 62 or so games in the regular season or more, probably, I guess, for the seeding games, it's disappointing. I mean, like, he's a, you know, he's been a big part of the Lakers, you know, for a couple of years, but... I mean, he has not been a factor in the postseason. So yeah, I mean, I think you have to. I think you have to rank him, and you probably rank him last of the guys who've played a you know whatever the minimum number of minutes to qualify for this little exercise is. Exercise over. Should we talk a little bit of Game Five? I mean, what what do you think heading into it? I mean, is there is there even a part of your brain that thinks Miami just because of the way they're built mentally and physically can bump this thing to six, and then if it gets to six, it gets interesting. God Almighty, just let it end. It's been it's been like it's been a fun it's been a fun little diversion for the summertime. But you know, the Lakers have been in the bubble for three months. Everybody who's been there has been there for three months at this point. It's been a long haul. The Lakers have this series wrapped up. The coronation, I think, has begun. Can we just get on with it and give the Lakers the trophy and, and move on to whatever's next? We have reached the conclusion of this season. I, I do, do you I, think Jimmy Butler agrees with no, you? No, and that's Jimmy what and like, that's you know what pisses what, Bill, me off. I want you I want you to get on to your offseason, Bill. I think I'm just gonna lay down. That sounds like Jimmy Butler. It annoys me because you said, is there any part of me that thinks the Heat and the way they're wired are just not gonna let this happen? Yes, there's absolutely a part of me that thinks that, and I find that to be annoying. Let the let the moment come, Jimmy Butler. Uh, n- but no, I mean, the Lakers have had really too much for the Heat throughout this series. You know, whether, whether They've been at full strength, although that was really only one half of basketball. The Lakers have too much firepower. They have too many guys who can beat you and their team defense has been too good you know they forced four shot clock violations in game four two in the fourth quarter i mean to me it was just a very thorough defensive performance and this is a team that was a top five defense in the regular season that has gotten only better in the playoffs as the level of competition has gotten better and better they've adjusted to every threat that has emerged i think they've done a good job of taking every opposing star out of games to me the lakers will have a determined game plan for game five lebron james doesn't want to stay in the bubble a night longer than he has to you go back to the way he kind of handled game five against the nuggets when he really went into overdrive to close out that series and said i do not want to play another game he's going to feel that way going into game five i think that anthony davis is going to be similarly wired and that's going to trickle down i think the lakers are going to close this out and uh the champagne will flow my question is is really more about less the result and more what happens after they win because you've won the championship. You no longer have to worry about the bubble and the safety of the bubble. Everybody's leaving. Do you hop in a van and go to downtown Orlando and socially distance celebrate at the presumably outdoor serving spaces of the bars in Orlando? They will not be entering public space. I think they would I think they would feel good 
partying in the bubble because there is the idea that, hey, everyone here doesn't have it, right? That's been the whole idea of the bubble. Now, they still have people wearing masks in there, I think, smartly with all that. But I think you celebrate... There Aren't there restaurants at the... You know, the, I've read some of Amick's, like, post-game stuff. He was talking about them have You know, LeBron has a post-game spot. I bet they go there with the with the families and like the intimacy of the of the team. I bet they party in the bubble that night. Listen, we know that NBA players, some NBA players, <clears throat> Lou Williams, like to go to you know some adult establishments. I mean, what is stopping the Lakers from hey, the championship is won, the bubble worked, loading into the sprinter the team sprinter van and going uh, and going to uh, such an establishment in Orlando when the Cavaliers won in Oakland, uh, LeBron and the Cavs went to. Vegas so I don't you know that that seems like a little long flight uh you know Orlando to Vegas Bill where would you feel more comfortable uh right now partying in a uh Florida club in a state that has just announced they're gonna allow 65,000 to go to Miami Dolphins games if the Dolphins would like that and the Dolphins said no or would you maybe want to stay in your little insulated bubble where you kind of know that everyone else around you has been pretty safe listen I think you're probably right I think you're on the right side of this argument but I just want to say that all these guys have wanted to do for three months is be able to get out of the bubble and now they can so I'm just saying that you know if, if I wouldn't blame them if they found their way uh, to some something out of the bubble but you're probably right they'll be back at the bridges lebron on his bicycle and then all of the out of bubble uh celebrating will happen uh in subsequent days yeah i would lastly want to say because this might be the last podcast probably is the last podcast we do while the bubble is still ongoing what a job by the nba to you know the ratings have not been necessarily what they desired they've been down there's probably a hundred different reasons that I could listen to on for why that is the case. But regardless of that, I think what they have shown from a public health standpoint, just from the undertaking that they took on and how absurd it sounded and unlikely it sounded in the lead up to it, even in the weeks or even right when the play the teams got there for practice. It was like, is this really going to work? It's really worked from the fact of a cases, zero cases, really, it sounds like this whole way. But also, like, the product itself, even if not as many eyes as in past years are watching, they made it as good as possible in an empty gym. I mean, it's just been a really good job. It's been a really good playoffs. It was really just fun kind of the whole way through, you know, when we had games all day long and it had that real March Madness vibe and you had you know game winners and you had really you know the seeding round was great because you felt like you had games that mattered and every time Portland or Memphis or New Orleans was on the court San Antonio Phoenix you really felt like there was some real weight to those games because the eight seed mattered I mean obviously whoever got that was inevitably going to get stomped by the Lakers but I thought they did a good job of building tension really throughout the entire thing listen it was a long time the quality of the basketball the meaningful nature of the basketball never felt like like the event was dragging on. I think it has enjoyed a really impressive narrative arc. And like you said, the fact that you know you get through this and you haven't had a single, I, I know Adam Silver said there were a couple of instances of some of that uh, support staff that came in and out of the bubble testing positive. But in terms of you know people who are full-time in the bubble and you know players, coaches, uh, real NBA personnel, that was getting tested every day, that there were zero cases to me, I think is just an incredible testament to the creativity, the ingenuity, and the execution of the NBA. In, in On short notice, by the way, I mean, when you think about everything that had to be plotted out and everything that had to be accounted for to make this work and to get this off the ground, the two, three months they even had once they arrived at a, a plan um, hardly seems like enough time to pull off like a whole ecosystem that has never been seen before. So, I mean, huge, huge kudos to the NBA. And it's been fun to, it's been fun to 
to watch. It's been fun to cover. And the fact that, you know, we uh, have covered the team that we believe is going to win the championship has made it all the more, uh, you know, uh, compelling. If the Lakers do win the title, we will be podcasting probably in, in a 24 to 48 hour period afterwards to discuss how it all went down. So, Bill, you uh, you ready to watch game five Friday night? Two days in between. I kind of wish it was just still on this one day on one day off now it feels too long this is the first yeah. time it has felt too long just move that game up i agree but anyway all right we will talk to you on the farm club probably on the other side of a lakers title yeah who knows maybe miami makes it a series <laughs>